0: Welcome to the tape ministry of Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, whose mission is to present everyone mature in Christ. It is our desire that the tapes of these services and messages from God's Word will touch lives deeply and encourage a closer walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you wish to contact the church for any reason, please phone us at 253-851-7779 or write us at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, Post Office Box 829, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. At the end of the first section of the recording, please turn the tape over to hear the rest of the service. Now may God richly bless you as you join the people of Chapel Hill in worshiping the Lord and listening to the good news of Jesus Christ.
1: Small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb is come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts truly be acceptable in Thy sight, O oh Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We continue on the last stretch of the study of the Book of Revelation. Five more weeks. It's been a great time, hasn't it? It's been very, uh, it, it, very good for me. I have learned so much in the process of this study, and that we have had a glimpse into the, the. Um, into the nature of God and, and into the hope of our future and in the security of our present that you do not get very many other places in the Word. I want to ask you, as we begin our time this morning on the uh, Pastor Stuart Bond tutorial, um, what does hallelujah mean? Anyone know? What does hallelujah mean? Almost. Literally, it means you praise God. You praise God. Actually, it means literally, literally, you praise Yahweh. Yahweh was the sacred name that God gave to Moses when he was on Sinai, telling Moses to go and deliver his people. That was the unspeakable name. In fact, the, the Jews consider it so sacred that they don't read that name when they find it in the text of their Bibles. When they come there, they substitute another word, Adonai, which means Lord, instead of Yahweh, because they will not speak the unspeakable name, the sacred name. But Hallelujah means you praise, and Yah is a nickname for Yahweh. I didn't know you gave nicknames to Yahweh, but apparently you do. So Hallelujah is you praise, Yah. You praise Yahweh. You praise God. Did you know that every time you say that, you're saying the sacred name of God? Hallelujah appears throughout the Bible, but there's one book particularly that contains the more, more references than any other. What is that book? Nice guess. The Revelation, wrong. It was a natural guess, though, wasn't it? The Psalms. You're all going, oh, duh. Yeah, of course, the Psalms. The Psalms is where we find the most appearances of the word hallelujah, and, they, uh, these, and hallelujah appears most frequently in the Psalms in one particular group. Psalm 113 through 118, which are called the Hallel Psalms, because they begin because their focus is on the, that, that word, that praise you, you praise God word. In fact, the Hallel Psalms were written for a specific purpose. They were written, actually they were sung at Passover, They were sung at Passover. Psalm 113 and 14 were sung before the meal. Psalm 115 through 18 were sung after the meal. And, in fact, do you remember the story in Mark's gospel when it says that they finished their meal, they sang a hymn, and then they went up to the Mount of Olives? This would have been one of the hymns that they were singing, likely, because that was the hymn that you sang after the Passover supper. Now, why were these psalms sung at Passover? Because every one of the, the Hallel Psalms, the You Praise God Psalms, focuses on God's deliverance of the people out of Egypt. It retells the story of the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt from under the bondage of Pharaoh. You might look at those when you're doing your devotions this week. Now let's move to our morning's text with that background. Hallelujah is frequently used in the book of Revelation, right? With all of the angels singing and the elders falling down on their faces and the beasts with Eyeballs all over them, singing praise to God. We hear the word a lot, right? Right? Wrong! Ha! (laughs) Did you know that in the entire book of Revelation that the word hallelujah appears only here? Only in this chapter, 19, verses 1 through 10. Only four times. Now why in a book that is filled with the worship of God... Why does the Holy Spirit reserve the most famous praise word, Hallelujah, for this one little section of the book? I want you to think now. Put on your thinking hats. The Hallel songs were sung to celebrate the Passover, God's deliverance from the seemingly indestructible enemy of his people, Egypt. Right? Now, what have we just finished reading about in Psalm seventeen, uh, in Revelation 17 and 18? I know it's been a while, but think back a few weeks. The fall of the great harlot of Babylon. Do you remember that? John spends two chapters talking about the fall of what he calls the whore of Babylon. Now Babylon represented Rome at the time, but Babylon continues to represent any government, any entity that sets itself up in opposition to God. And that great harlot had been destroyed, and it was a terrible destruction, by the way. Now if you had been one of John's first century readers, you would have thought this to be a fairy tale. For Rome looked anything but destructible at that point. Rome looked like it was very much firmly in power and seated there for a long time. You would not have believed that she would end up being within a very short time relatively ravaged and destroyed. So why do we sing hallelujah, or should I say, why do the heavens sing hallelujah at this point in the text? Because once again, God has what? He has delivered. Once again, God has delivered. We have been expecting it. We have been hoping for it. The text has promised that God would make all things right and would save His chosen people, the people with His mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. But now the time has come, and God has delivered just as He promised. And the Hallelujah Chorus, like you have never heard it sung before, and I would include in that the way you sang it two weeks before ago, that chorus is so powerful that, that John has to describe it like the rushing of waters and the pealing of thunder. Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. But there's another reason to sing the hallelujah here. Hallelujah was sung to celebrate deliverance. It was also sung at an occasion. What was the occasion? I told you. What was the occasion? When, was the hal- when were the hallels sung? At the Passover Feast. What is the occasion now? It is a new feast. It's not the Passover feast. What kind of a feast is it? It's a wedding feast. They are celebrating a wedding. The wedding feast of the Lamb. And who is the Lamb? It is Christ. And that is the image that this book uses again and again to describe the resurrected and reigning Jesus. And who is his bride? We are. The church. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, the followers of Christ... It is not the first time that we've heard imagery of marriage and wedding in the Scriptures, is it? Jesus himself used this language. In Matthew he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. The Apostle Paul captures that imagery as well. In Ephesians he talks about Christ being the groom and the church's beloved bride. And then in Second Corinthians he says this, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. This imagery of, of God and marriage joining with his 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 people, his chosen people, his saved people, goes back into even the old testament times. So this is rich imagery that is being drawn on again for this new feast, this new Hallel, you praise God, feast. Now, if we are followers of Christ, my friends, here's what this text is saying. We are engaged to be married to the Lamb. We are engaged. We are spoken for. Now, these days, engagement doesn't mean much. You get engaged, perhaps you break the engagement. You get engaged, you break the engagement. In fact, many opt just to live together for kind of a test drive before they buy more and more today But in Jesus' time, in John's time, engagement meant something much more. And I'm indebted once again to Daryl Johnson, a name I've mentioned many times, a wonderful pastor down in Glendale, for some of these insights. He tells us that there are three stages to getting married at the time of Christ. Engagement, the preparation for the wedding, and the wedding feast. The engagement was like this. In the betrothal, the groom and his best man would leave the groom's house and they would travel to the bride's house, the house of the bride's father and it was there that he would declare his intention to marry her, and they would strike a deal. In those days, you paid a fee, a dowry, for the privilege of marrying the bride. It is a tradition I'm intending on reviving when Rachel reaches marriageable (laughs) age, which will be about 35. When the arrangements were agreed to, the couple was technically married. That was the deal. The groom would return to his father's house, and he would prepare a place for the two of them to live. Maybe clean up the corner of the house, maybe put on an addition to the house, and that is where they would live. They did not, however, live together during that time. They did not have sexual relations during that time, but they were considered married. In fact, if the husband-to-be died during the engagement, the woman was considered a widow. That's how seriously they took this. Do you understand now why when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he made plans to divorce her even though they were only engaged. You get it? Because engagement was more than engagement. It was marriage without the sex. Which doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me, but that's the deal. After 12 months... The groom would return, and he was dressed in his finest garments. And no one knew for sure when he was going to arrive. Often, it would be at midnight. And so they would show up, and he would have all of his attendants dressed in their finery. And they would stand on the outside of the house, and they would shout, The bridegroom has come! The bridegroom has come! Come on out! The bridegroom has come! And so the bride would come out, and she would be veiled and wearing her best finery. And all of the maidens would accompany her with... Lamps, you remember the parable about the maidens who weren't ready? They didn't have enough oil and so they missed out on the party. And then they would go together to the groom's father's house and there would be a brief ceremony and then the party began. And they partied for anywhere from 7 to 14 days. Now, dads, how'd you like to pay for that reception? (laughs) Maybe that background helps you a little bit more to appreciate the text of the day. For Jesus, the groom, has returned. He left. He told us he was engaged to us. He left, and he has returned. And we are his bride, and we are awaiting his arrival. And we are going to have the party of the ages. Now let me ask, what is the price of the dowry that was paid for us? What does the revelation say the price of the dowry was? This very life the blood of Christ he paid the ultimate price for his bride he gave his own blood that was the price and then on Easter he rose again from the dead we celebrated that three weeks ago and then as he was preparing to go and all his, his, his friends were so sad he said listen in my father's house are many rooms I go to prepare one for you and if I go I will come again and bring you to myself so that where I am there you may be also it's bridegroom talk. Did you know that? We do it during funerals all the time, but he's not talking about death so much as he's talking about the bridegroom who returns to his father's house to prepare a place. Then he's going to come and get the bride and take her with him to the place he has prepared so they can party. There's one, if we are followers of Jesus, we are engaged to Christ. We are engaged to the Lamb. And what that means, among many other things, is this, that we have nothing to worry about. There is no question about whether or not he's going to go through with it. No question about whether he's going to change his mind. I went through a broken engagement. I bet some of you did too. Head nods from a few of you. It was very painful. It was very painful. I thank God for it now. But at the time, it was very painful. But Jesus will never change his mind. Jesus will never break his word. As far as he's concerned, the deal is done. You are his, and all we're waiting for is the party to start. There is one thing I particularly want to raise on this Mother's Day. Most of you mothers started as wives, and I'm sure you remember your wedding day as if it was yesterday. I know I remember mine. I was already a pastor. I had performed many weddings already. But I was so nervous at my own wedding, as I was pacing in the back room there, I actually told my best man, Dan, that I thought I was going to puke. And I wasn't kidding. I thought I was going to throw up. He comforted me and told, slapped me. got Whatever it took, he got me back. And finally, I made my way out to the front of the church. And the music started, and the doors opened. And there before me stood a vision of loveliness like I'd never laid my eyes on before. Spotless and without without blemish and perfect. This happened then too. I had written a song to sing to Cindy from the piano and I intended to look at her as I sang it. It was a bad idea. <laughs> I was so emotional, all I could do was look down at the keyboard and keep singing, and I had tears that were dripping on the keys. After waiting 32 years, it was a hallelujah moment for me, if ever there was one. But one of the challenges that we faced was the issue of the reception. Cindy wanted to have a little intimate marriage. I said, do you know what you're asking? We can't do that. Everyone's going to want to come. And I think the whole church did turn out. In fact, we it was a choice of either having it university Place Presbyterian Church or having it here with two services. The first would be contemporary, the second traditional. <laughs> so we opted for... <laughs> University place. And we wanted everyone to come and celebrate with us. I certainly did, but we also wanted to have a, and we wanted to have a reception. So we had a reception right after the wedding and and everyone could come down and we had cake and and a fun time. But we wanted to also have a more intimate time with close family and friends. And so we added at CI shenanigans and looked out over the water. And for a guy who doesn't like to dance, I bunny hopped and conga lined my little heart out (laughs) because I was a married man. But the hardest decision that we made was whom to invite to that second reception. I mean, it was really tough. We had so many folks that we loved. The room would only hold so many, though. And more to the point, the checkbook could only afford so many. So who would be the recipient of the invitation to that wedding reception? The wedding feast of the Lamb is an entirely different story. There is plenty of room, The Father has unlimited resources. The table has been laid. And the issue is not whom shall we invite. The answer is what? Who has been invited? All have been invited. All of you have been invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. The issue is not the invitations. The issue, really, is the same issue you brides and your mothers have dealt with every time there is a wedding. And that is not the invitations, but the what? The RSVPs! No one gets back to you! Do you remember how badly you felt about that? You send out lovingly, you fill out, hand sign all of these invitations and they go out and you say, won't you come and celebrate with us? And in fact, not only will you come to the, to the wedding, we have a special party that we want to throw and we want you to be there with us. And you say, please do us the favor of responding and, and indicate how many there will be. I've enclosed an envelope, I put a stamp, all you gotta do is say yes! put it in the envelope, stick it in the mailbox, and you're done. What's wrong? What? I'm being funny. Good. Okay. <laughs> Glad to hear it. And, the, and the, the RSVPs don't come. And so you sit, and you wait, and you wonder... Why? And who? And when will it get there? Now you know how Jesus feels. You see, the invitations have gone out. All of you are invited. And he says, all you need to do is say yes. All you need to do is respond. And you are welcome to the feast. And yet, so many don't do it. The difference, though, in this story is this. When we, don't RSVP, when we don't RSVP, we aren't just ditching a party. We're leaving the groom at the altar. My friends, the greatest invitation ever has been sent out to us. The Lamb of God, Jesus the Son, invites us all to be united to Him in holy and eternal matrimony, to live in relationship with Him forever. And I would ask you on this Mother's Day, you remember what it was like, ladies. Have you responded to this gracious invitation? Have you sent the envelope back? Or is it sitting somewhere gathering dust? Wouldn't this Mother's Day be a great day for you to respond to the most gracious invitation that has ever been sent? Let us pray together as the ushers come forward. My loving God, thank you that you want us at your party. You invited us from the foundations of the earth before eternity began. You had your eyes set upon us and had made a provision for us to come. And in your son, Jesus Christ, we have received the most gracious of invitations to live in your house forever, to be married to the Lamb of God, to be in eternal relationship with you and yet we dawdle, we hold off, we will not send the response. God, may this be the day that some hear your invitation and say yes to the gracious offer of Christ, to forgive them, to be the Lord of their lives, to be the Savior of their lives. May this be the day we say yes. And now we say yes in a different way as we share with you some of the wealth which you first shared with us. Bless it, use it, to strengthen your kingdom, and to Spread the good news abroad that there is a party that is going to go on and all are invited. Bless both gift and giver, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.